Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You have a little delay there. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie uh, Butler from the state of North Carolina, with my co-host, Tim Ben from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, uh, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnston from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful that you're tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us, while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call to Steve B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Robert Lee Johnson and Steve Cordo, as they break into our listeners the bread of life. 
Also, we ask your blessings upon my co-host, Tim Bench, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will be with our, bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuned in this evening through blog talk radio, as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and your soul and their soul salvation. It will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask that you forgive us for the sins we've committed in our minds and our bodies. We know our flesh is weak. And we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful unto death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Length Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast this evening. Our speakers for the show this evening in the first segment will be Robert Lee Johnson. He serves as the evangelist for the New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host, Tim Bench. He serves with the Oham Lane Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. He'll be answering our question. And then the last segment, my co-host, Steve Cordell. He serves as the evangelist with the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you'll be that of my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
discover love's on the line. Come on and feel the line. Let us gather just for a crown of love's in the line. Come on and feel the line. Send the light. Oh, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from your listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host Robert Lee Johnson and his subject, Christ is Coming Again. Thank you, Stevie. I appreciate this great opportunity uh, to be present today and to have this opportunity to speak uh, to this great audience on the Word of God. I'm thankful to to my father for all of his rich uh, blessings that he gives uh, to his people. And it's good uh, to be here today and just to have this opportunity uh, to talk about uh, the Word of God. Thinking about what I wanted to say, um, I've been thinking about the second coming of Christ. Uh, things like the rapture. Of course, we know the rapture is not in the Bible, though some uh, believe that false doctrine and uh, have invested in it, and therefore they are going to be very, very disappointed at the judgment day. I would uh, really uh, ask you to investigate that for yourself and learn what God is saying to his people. So let me speak today on facts about the second coming of of Christ, and I trust that the word of God will be beneficial uh, to you, to me, and to all those who uh, we'll listen to uh, God's will. Uh, I'm developing this thought from the fourth chapter 
of the book of Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. And as we look at the Word of God, I trust, and my hope is that we'll get something from uh, this inspired uh, Word. And so Paul is writing to his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. He said, For the Lord himself uh, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And the Bible says, And with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The Bible says to meet uh, the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, And that's what the Bible is for uh, those of us Uh, We are to be comforted by the teachings of Christ. Uh, There are so many people that no longer respect the Bible, even among members of the church. They won't study it privately. They won't come to the Bible studies uh, that are public uh, services so that they can learn God's truth. It seems like men have just lost a heart uh, when it comes to God's divine uh, truth. But I'm saying uh, today that we need to give some consideration uh, to the word of God. Uh, When I think about Jesus returning, I I am aware of the fact uh, that the second coming of Christ uh, which is mentioned in Hebrews 9.27, is a prevailing theme of the New Testament scriptures. Uh, it is referenced eight times more than the Lord's initial comment. It is, it is alluded to, uh, to more than 300 times in the New Testament. And because there is considerable error associated uh, with the Lord's return, we must examine this theme not only positively, but also in addressing several errors uh, that have distorted biblical teaching. One of the things that I want to encourage people on, you know, there are many good songs that people don't sing any longer because uh, they fail to understand the song. Now, I love I'll Fly Away, and I, I, I believe I'll be singing that until Jesus comes. I'm not going to stop singing that. And some people say, well, we shouldn't sing that song because it says I'll Fly Away. <laughs> and, and, and some don't believe that uh, we are able or it's possible for Christians to sing that song. And so some have just discarded that uh, song all together uh, because they feel uh, that it 
does not properly represent uh, the truth. But the scripture that I just read to you says uh, that one day Christ is coming and then uh, people are going to meet him in the air. <laughs> well, that seems to me like somebody's going to be flying. And 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 uh, it doesn't say what form, but we're going to beat him in the air. And so I would not stop singing that song uh, because some uh, have bad things to say about it. I love our fly away, and when Christ comes, some will be flying with him. Now, since immortality, which is associated with the second coming is illuminated most fully by the gospel of Jesus Christ, one would not expect there to be an abundance of explicit information uh, in the Old Testament related to this uh, terminal event. There are, however, hints of the Lord's return uh, nestled within the Old Testament literature. Job felt there would be a time of vindication for him by his Redeemer at some point after his flesh had disintegrated, though he had no precise understanding of that Redeemer from his ancient vantage point. And so though he did not fully understand it, Job was looking uh, forth to a Savior who would come into uh, the world. And in a messianic discourse, David foretold of an ultimate retribution upon Jehovah's enemies, Psalms chapter 2 and verse number 9, and Psalms 110 and verse number 1. Uh, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the time when every knee would bow and every tongue would swear allegiance to God. So whether one wants to or not, uh, he will honor Jesus uh, because ultimately we will have to acknowledge the truth of the Bible, that there is a hell and there is a heaven, and that we will be called upon to meet God. And according to how we respected his word, his law, uh, shall we be sentenced uh, in the world which is to come? I just want to go stay with him. I just want to go where he is. I just want to be with him and recognize and understand that there is a God that loves me and made preparation for my uh, coming to live with him one day. The prophet Daniel prophesied of a future bodily resurrection in Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. Let me see if I can get some of that uh, today as we're thinking about this subject and uh, looking forward to uh, his coming. And you know, if you're living for the Lord, you really want to see him come again. If you love the Bible, if you love the Word of God, if you live in a Christian life, 
You want Jesus to come on back here and get us and take us on back uh, to that wonderful place that uh, the Bible speaks so much about. And so in Daniel chapter 12, the good book says, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. You better get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can run around here and talk about your business. You can talk about uh, your employment. You can talk about the money you have in the bank. Some people can't worship God any longer because they've got to count the money. But there will come a time when all of that will not be important, and we will, uh, we would have, we, we will wish that we had listened to Almighty God. Now listen to what these verses say. And many of them, the Bible says, that sleep in the dust of the earth, the Bible says, shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many uh, to righteousness as the stars uh, forever and ever. This is what God is calling upon us to do. We need to go out and work for the kingdom's sake. We need to work to bring men to God. We need to be teaching the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ so men can be saved and, and that they can turn away from their sins. So, yes, Daniel is talking about the resurrection of the dead, that, as some call it, that great getting up morning. I don't know if you are looking forward to it, but I know you need to have this on your mind. Stop worrying about what Sally, Sue, and, and uh, May are doing or talking about. You need to reflect upon God and his holy will. And not only did the Old Testament talk about this, but as we embark in our learning of the new covenant, we can see uh, where God reveals his sweet will to us. So, uh, as indicated, the New Testament abounds with information regarding his second coming. Jesus is coming one day. And Jesus himself affirmed it on many occasions. In Matthew 24 and verse number 37, in Matthew 24 and verse number 39, Matthew 24, 42, and Matthew 24, 44, tells us that he's coming back. And then shortly before his crucifixion, the Savior's promise that after his death, that he will come again. Look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 19 and verse uh, number 15. Yes, he's coming back one day. And you know you need to get ready for him. 
And the older I grow in God and in His will, you know, I'm just looking forward uh, to the fact that I want to meet Him one day. And so the Bible says, the Bible says, and it came to pass that when He was returned, having received the kingdom, uh, then He commanded these servants to be called unto Him. Uh, to whom he had given, <coughs> excuse me, the money, uh, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. He's coming back one day. And we read in that passage that we're constantly referring to, John, the 14th chapter. And look at verse number 3. As we read from the Bible uh, on this occasion, the Bible says, the Bible says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, talk Jesus, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus said he's coming back. Uh, the Bible says that the angels one day, uh, when the Lord ascended into heaven, the angels proclaimed that he would so come in like manner as he departed on that occasion. Acts chapter 1 and verse uh, number 11. The entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians deals with the resurrection of the body to occur at the time of Jesus' return. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. The books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, they deal significantly with Christ's uh, return. And, and, and we need to acquaint ourselves uh, with those passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse number 13, we used to preach sermons like this, but you rarely hear a preach sermon on his return. Uh, I don't know if we're looking for Jesus to come back. Some in the church may not want him to come back. Uh, but the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13, the scripture says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, uh, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you do not have any hope of ever being saved. And so we need to get a proper understanding of the Word of God. In First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, uh, you have no need that I write unto you. And people want to know when is it coming back. Uh, we want a precise time. Uh, so some of us can hang out in sin and in sinful corners and sinful places 
and then jump up and try uh, to get ready just before he comes. But I will have you to know that if that is what you think about Christ's second return, my brother and my sisters, I think you are thinking the wrong thing. Paul said again in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7, listen, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's not coming by himself. You can't overpower the Lord. But Christ is bringing help with him. And so uh, his parousia is in the book. And 24 times in the New Testament, signifying an arrival of presence, this sermon is employed. 16 times for the second coming. Matthew 24, 37-39. Yes, Jesus is coming back. It's not a matter of he coming back. The fact of the matter is, will we be ready when he comes? And almost every time that uh, this subject is preached, that this subject is broached, People will say, well, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> well, the day and the time is going to come when you will have no more time to get ready for Christ. Now is the time for you to prepare for his coming. One scholar suggests that the arrival motifs treated in many of these texts are derived from the Old Testament and Jewish salvation and their expectations, uh, which anticipate an earthly personality, such as the Messianic king. Let us consider the issue of the second coming from both a positive and neg negative vantage uh, points. There are explicit features, listen, friends, regarding the second coming that identified the nature of this grand event. At the same time, these qualities eliminate various false ideas that have arisen within uh, the community of Christendom over the past two millennia. Consider the following point. His coming is not just a statement. His coming is not just a belief, but the coming of Christ is certain. It is sure, just as sure as night follows day and day follows night. The second coming is certain to occur. The very integrity of Christ is at stake in this matter. Jesus declared, I come again undergirding that will, if it were not so, he said, I would have told you. Christ said, I'm coming again. And if I wasn't coming, I would tell you that I'm not coming. Jesus is coming again. We need to prepare 
for him. The Bible tells us that there is a definite day, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.8. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5.5 5, and 2 Corinthians 1.14 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 2. And let me just read this passage from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the Bible says, For yourselves know perfectly uh, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I remember one time I had a beautiful car and had parked it in a certain part of the city. And when I came out of the house, it was like I was in uh, a wonderland because I knew where I had parked my car. I looked and I looked, but I didn't see it. <laughs> the car seemed to have vanished in thin air. And I want to tell you something, my friend. When Jesus comes, he's not going to tell you when he's coming. The Bible says he comes as a thief in the night. That means you're going to be taken by surprise. Now, look at the time of his coming. Well, if you read the Bible, you know by now that it is not revealed as to when Jesus is coming again. Uh, the specific time of that event is not revealed. Jesus will come at an unexpected time. And the Bible so says, look at Matthew 24. I'm one of those Bible preachers. I feel like to preach Bible and point people to what the Bible says. I'm not trying to mesmerize you with rhymes, and <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to uh, make everything sound uh, uh, good to you. But, but 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 I like pointing people to the Bible. I see no reason to change from that because the Bible is the Word of God, and if God changed it, He didn't tell us He changed it. And so I'm sticking with the Word of God. Now, in Matthew 24 and verse number 37, the Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Those people didn't know when Jesus uh, came at the time of Noah. They didn't know when God stopped. Uh, his salvation operation. Noah had been preaching and preaching and preaching, and they disbelieved him. They could not accept what he taught. It sounded like foolishness to them. You could tell people about the one church today, and they said, well, we got so many churches, that just don't sound right. You know why it doesn't sound right? Because the devil invented 
established so many false churches until he uh, he has deceived the minds of so many. But the Bible still teaches one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one God, one Savior. And the one body is the church. And Jesus is coming back for his bride. You better get in his church and stay in the church. And then you can go back safely with him when he returns. Yes, he's coming as a thief in the night. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 2 announces that in our ears. Not even Christ, during his personal ministry, knew when that day would occur. We got all of these false teachers and false preachers trying to predict when he's coming back. They don't know when he's coming back. You know how I know that they don't know? Because they have predicted his return, and none of them have gotten it right. You know why? Because God did not even tell his son. So if Jesus doesn't know, and the Bible says he doesn't, and I believe the Bible, then that simply means that God is not interested in us knowing when he's coming back. We got to get, we need to be certain, we need to be sure that he's coming back. So strange indeed are the claims of certain modern religionists who imagine they can calculate uh, that which the Lord could not. Date setters have been notoriously wrong. When the skeptic Bertrand Russell charged Jesus with error, claiming Christ believed his coming would occur during the first century, he exposed his pathetic ignorance of biblical data. Man, you got to read the Bible. If you want to know about Christ, you've got to read the Bible. And when Jesus comes, his second coming is not going to be figurative. His second coming is going to be a literal coming. The Bible so says there are passages which mention comings of Christ that are representative, not literal. Uh, remember, he came on Pentecost. Uh, he brought his kingdom on that day. And the Holy Spirit also came on the day of Pentecost, John 14, 18. We're told about the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24, 30. And in Revelation 2, 5, Jesus talks about discipline that the church would have to suffer because of their disobedience to the will of God. But may I tell you here today, Christ's second coming is going to be personal. And look at the expression, the Lord himself. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel and with the trump of God then the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what we're going to see. And so we just have to believe God and believe the Bible. Many men today teach falsely 
proclaimed that there will be no visible return of Christ to the earth. And some teach that the second coming was merely the punitive action of Christ in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. These false teachings or doctrines are even espoused by so-called members of the Church of Christ. But I want you to look at the teaching of Scripture. The Lord will come visibly, not as the theory of the invisible rapture maintains. You've heard about the rapture. I'll see you in the rapture. I'll see you in the rapture. I'll see you in the rapture one day. Well, let me tell you something. There will be no rapture. Hal Lindsey wrote a book, The Late Great Planet Earth. And in that book, he fantasizes about Jesus and his coming. The Lord's return will be a revelation, Second Thessalonians 1. And verse number 7, it's going to be a manifestation. First John 2 and verse number 28, it will involve an appearance. Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8, Titus 2, 13, and Hebrews chapter 9, and verse number 29. Let me get this Hebrew uh, passage for you. Hebrews 9 and verse number 29. Now, there the Bible uh, says uh, to men plainly about his second coming. Listen to it, friend. The scripture says, the scripture says, actually this would be uh, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin of the salvation. Yes, he's coming back again. Coming back to claim his own. He's coming back to get his church. He's coming back for his bride. And we need to recognize the fact that when he comes, we're going to have glorified bodies. A new body. Jesus' return will really be final. The second coming will be terminal. Paul depicts the coming of Christ as being the end. Death will have been destroyed, and the Lord's enemies will have been abolished. There will be no unbelievers when Jesus comes. First Corinthians 15, verses 23 through 24. Clearly then... Since the dead have not yet been raised, the second coming obviously did not occur in A.D. 70, as the radical preterists alleged. Additionally, when false teachers attempted to undermine the Christian cause by challenging the Lord's promise of his coming, Peter refuted their charge by contending that Christ's coming would be accompanied by the demolition of the entire universe. The world is going to be destroyed. People say, well, 
there's going to be a new earth. But it won't be this earth, and there will be no place called earth as we know it today. And so I'm simply telling you that do not make any plans to stay on this earth because that is not going to occur. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse uh, number 4, uh, the Bible says there, listen, uh, Psalm of coming, Peter was uh, said, and they're going to be saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And so that's not true. Everything is not as it once was because we know the world was destroyed uh, by water. But there are premillennialists who have a different view, and they say that there's going to be a place established on the earth for a thousand years, and Jesus is going to preach, and those who want to be saved may be saved at that time. But let me just briefly say this as I come to my conclusion. See how much time I got. Oh, it's 6.45. All right. I guess it's time for me to quit, Steve. But let me just quickly wrap this up. There's going to be a resurrection. The general resurrection of the dead is connected with the return of Christ. The ancient Sadducees denied the resurrection. Acts 23, verses 6 through 8, we find that they did. They denied the resurrection of Christ, and uh, could not accept that teaching. That's the way people are. They cannot accept the teaching of Christ. And as a result of that, they simply deny the fact that there would be a resurrection. But the doctrine of the bodily resurrection is affirmed abundantly in the New Testament. John 5, 28 and 29 says that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Uh, We ought to look clearly at that uh, with some good understanding. John 5, 28 and 29. As I hurry to get through my message, I think I spent too much time trying to introduce it, but that's me. Always trying to get in all the points. Uh, Marvel not at this, but the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of the judgment. So there will be a judgment. We look forward to that. If you're saved and a member of the church, You look forward to that. And then the faithful who are living at the time of Jesus' coming, the Bible says, will be transformed into his likeness. Philippians 3 and verse number 21. The day of judgment is likewise connected to Jesus' second coming. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 uh, tells us that Christ is going to be the judge. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 All human beings who ever 
uh, lived upon the earth are going to be there. Romans 14 and verse number 10. And each person will be judged by the law of God under which he lived at the time. And so we're just thankful to God that God is so fair in this judgment. The Gentiles will be judged by the law of the conscience. Romans 2, 12 through 15. The Jews will be judged by the basis of Moses' law. And those who live in the Christian age since Pentecost to this point will be judged by the law of Jesus Christ. And so God wants all men to be saved. But God cannot make you get saved. That's something that you have to do today. And I'm telling you, my friends, instead of wasting your time doing everything that you want to do on this earth, you need to spend time living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I thank you so much for listening. And I trust that this uh, word will mean something to you. And I trust that you will prepare uh, for eternity and wait for the Lord and his arrival so that we may be judged, so that we may be resurrected, and so Jesus will assign us our heavenly home. Thank you. God bless you, and thank you for listening to the gospel message this evening through this wonderful gospel program. Have a great night. May God bless you, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you, Stevie. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life I just want to say what you really mean to me You're my everything, my joy and peace You're the reason why I sing Lord, I don't deserve anything you give me So I just gotta say thank you oh, For tonight, for your love and grace So I just gotta tell you this mm-hmm. I will always
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out. And we want to pose this question to my co-host. We also want to encourage our listeners to get involved in that biblical discussion that's there on Facebook in that group called Shout It Out. My co-host that will be answering our question on this evening's broadcast will be Tim Bench. He serves with O'Ham Lane. Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. Tim, how you doing this evening? Hello, Stevie. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I got a doozy for you. Now, I'm not going to read the text. I'll let you read that when you ask the question. The scripture reference that's used for this question is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 5, and it's from an anonymous query from the state of Texas. And the question is, please help me to understand just what is the Apostle Paul teaching regarding the bearing of our burdens and helping our brethren bear their burdens? What say you to this question? Stevie, this is an excellent question that applies to all Christians, and I do want to read the verses very quickly. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then down in verse 5, it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. What does this mean? And I want to share a couple of citations this evening, which I think explain this. This is from BibleStudyTools.com. What does bear one another's burdens mean? The word to bear in the Greek can mean to take up or to carry away. The word burden can also mean weight. When you consider this verse in context, it means that we should be taking up or carrying away the weights that others are carrying. In other words, no one should ever go through situations alone. This is one of the responsibilities of the body of Christ. Even Jesus, after being whipped and beaten, had his cross carried by Simon of Cyrene. The bottom line is we need each other. For every person, there will come a point where you are overwhelmed by the weight of life. In those moments, you will be grateful that there is someone there to help you carry that weight, end quote. In other words, Stevie, we are to look around at the other people around us, whether it be in church or, or people that we know from church who may be going through difficult challenges and trials and tribulations. What are we doing to help them? Are we helping to carry their burden? Uh, this is another one. This is from the West Palm Beach, Florida Church of Christ, and this makes some excellent points. Quote, bearing one another's burdens is described as fulfilling the law of Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of love and serving who bore our burdens of sin so that we could be restored to him. We are commanded to love others as Christ loved us. John 13, verse 34, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Bearing burdens is one way we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Remember what Paul taught earlier in Galatians 5, that through love we serve one another and are thus fulfilling the law. This command implies that we have relationships with each other. We cannot help each other unless we are in relationship with each other and have fellowship with each other. This means that we must open up to each other and welcome deeper relationships as family than just cursory, obligatory conversations. We must spend time together and speak to each other about spiritual things if we will have any opportunity to help each other grow and be able to restore each other. Verse 5, 
this is not a contradiction to the command in verse 2. The point is just to carry your load. Stop comparing your load to others. Stop worrying about how you were doing in comparison to others. This is the same message as the parable of the talents. Each of us have been granted different loads and different responsibilities, but that is not relevant. What matters is what you do with what has been granted to you. In this, there is no room for pride because we are nothing before God, carrying our loads and helping each other when we are caught in a transgression, end quote. From the Christian Courier, which is a Church of Christ-affiliated publication that many of us are familiar with, this is from Jason Jackson, quote, Burden-bearing, in Galatians 6.2, is one way we fulfill the command to love one another as Christ loves us. When the teaching and life of Christ are the standard by which we live in love, we realize the following about Christian burden-bearing. Burden-bearing is prompted by Christ-like love or a concern for the spiritual well-being of our brethren in Christ. Burden-bearing promotes the spiritual enrichment of the burdened Christian. Thus, whatever assistance is rendered, i.e. physical, material, emotional, etc., the goal is the betterment of the brother in need. The aim is to help a fellow Christian maintain and enhance his relationship with God through and in spite of a heavy load. Burden-bearing is possible because of kinship in Christ. What a blessing it is when we know Christian doctors, Christians who are mental health professionals, brothers who are businessmen, Christians who work in social services, brethren who bring their various talents and trades to the aid of their Christian brethren. But what they bring to their Christian family, most of all, is Christ-like love for the soul, we are commanded to bear burdens because we are Christians. And as a Christian, whatever my profession or vocation may be, I am obligated to lighten the load of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Our professions may facilitate this, but it is our knowledge of the gospel, our heart of compassion, our Christ-like kindness, our balanced view of sin and suffering, and our focus on heaven that gives us the possibility to help our fellow pilgrims through valleys of deep darkness. When one qualifies to be a burden bearer, that is when he is Christ-like. Loving someone who is heavy laden like Jesus loved you is what is necessary to help someone with the crushing weight of sin or circumstances, end quote. And one final observation, Stevie. I, I think this is such an excellent question that was been, that's been submitted. This is from the Harvard Ithacus. Quote, we are to bear the burdens of one another, the community, but also to remember that each of us bears his own load, i.e. will stand before God as individuals on that last day, not merely on the basis of belonging to a corporate group of Christians who did all the heavy lifting for us while we coasted, end quote. And I think that's such a valid point to be made. A lot of times people will avoid bearing the burdens of others, and they'll say, well, I'm a member of the church, and the church does that. That's the responsibility of the church, not me. And that's absolutely false. You are a member of that church, and therefore it becomes your individual duty, your individual responsibility, not merely the responsibility 
of the church as an aggregate. So I hope this answers the question, Stevie. We are to help bear the burdens of others around us, to help them with their loads, whether it be, as we've seen, sin, temptation, uh, challenges that they're facing. We are to help others with their loads, and we are, are also to focus on carrying our own. And if we apply this throughout an entire church congregation, then we would likewise expect others to help us with our loads as well. We're all, uh, ideally, we are all intended to help support each other. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Our hearts desire must face the winds of doubt. Expecting things from above and wanting now. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. You gotta love him, you gotta love him. 
the narrow way and follow him every day and don't look back. You see, my Jesus saying it all. Don't let material things keep you from going away when he comes back. Coming back for you. Walk down the narrow way and follow him every day and don't look back. See my Jesus paid it all. Why not do you think Jesus? Why not Jesus? Coming back for you. He You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host Steve Cotto and his subject, No Boundaries Judges. And good evening, Stevie, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, be here once again. And welcome to our audience. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Judges, the 21st chapter. That's where we will be uh, starting uh, this evening. And the book of Judges is one that is obviously got a lot to say, not only to Israel in those days, but to us as well today. Uh, I had a converse, the, the, the whole idea for this lesson started with a conversation that I had uh, several years ago. My uh, wife and I were house parents uh, in a group home. And I was having a conversation one night with one of the teens we had. Uh, we had a uh, policy that in the evenings we collected all the cell phones and that sort of thing. And I was about 10, 11 o'clock at night one night, and I was uh, collecting the cell phones. And she handed me her phone and was going off about how she hated it at the group home, which is normal. And I said, well, why, why, what's, uh, what, what's so bad about it? And she said, well, at home we had freedom. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, how, how are you defining freedom? Well, we could do whatever we want, she said. And I said, okay. So did you have any time at night you had to be in the house? No. Did you at least have to you know, go to bed at any time? No, we could just do what we wanted. I said to her, that's why you're here. You had a parent. She never talked about her mother. I don't know if her mother was dead or the parents were divorced or what, but she had a, uh, her dad was there. And I said, your dad let you run around, you get, got into trouble, he didn't take responsibility for it, you didn't, that's why you're here. You didn't have freedom. You had license. You had, uh, were never taught how to take responsibility for the things that you did. And that's kind of what's going on here in the book of Judges. There's a lot of apostasy, there's a lot of apathy, and it's about a time when 
the people of God, Israel, turned away. They turned their back. Joshua is dead. Moses is dead. All those people are gone now. And now we've got these judges that God has raised up to uh, uh, lead the people, to uh, give them guidance. And we're going to see a cycle. And you're going to see this is really relevant to us today because we've got a world that is uh, a lot of spiritual darkness, and it's the same thing uh, that Israel had. In ancient times, everyone pretty much believed in a god. Uh, We had the god of the Bible, and everybody had their uh, local gods is usually what they were. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, God is not a mean, spiteful god that people like to make him out to be. Uh, the idea that he's a, that there's a different God in the Old Testament and then a different God in the New Testament, that's just nonsense. They really are the same. But here's something in Judges, chapter 21 in the 25th verse. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Now let's go back to the resident at the group home I was telling you about. This is what got her there. She did what was right in her own eyes. And we can kind of look around here in America today and see the same thing. People are just doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And if we take the Bible away, really what we have is a subjective idea of right and wrong. Uh, You can be a moral person without the Bible or without a standard, but it's going to come down to subjective. What you think is right and wrong may not be the same things that I think is right and wrong. And during the time of the judges, Israel got really stubborn. This is a cycle here you can see where they would turn to God, or turn, start to turn from God. And then uh, judges, uh, uh, God would rather judge them by delivering them into the hands of some enemies, probably the Philistines in, in the book of Judges. But eventually Babylon, Assyria, a lot of other countries uh, were used by God to uh, uh, take Israel down and get them back in line. And then the people would turn back to God. And then God would send a judge to uh, rescue them and get them back on track. You'd have a period of peace, prosperity, and then it starts all over again, back up there at the top of the uh, of the cycle. And so what was going on was everyone doing right, which in their own eyes, they just did not have boundaries. And seven times throughout the book, we see some form of this statement, that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Seven times. In uh, 21 chapters, we're going to see this particular uh, phrase. That's about every uh, third chapter we're going to see it. Now, I want us to look at some parallels between Old Testament Israel and 21st century America. There's a few of them there. And like modern America, Israel chose to define, to do right, but they were going to define it for themselves. They weren't going to listen They were just going to go and do what they thought was right. Both nations were facing a state of unrest. Uh, We've got that problem now. We have an election coming up. Both sides, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, are, um, I have a feeling, not going to accept the results of it no matter what it was, just like we had in the last two elections. And then we've got nations that are in a state of distress. People today just, they don't know what to do. People in Israel really didn't know what to do which leads also then to a state of confusion. They're defining for themselves right and wrong, and this is where it gets where uh, to the confusion and to the unrest, because if I'm defining for me what's right and wrong, and you're defining for you, eventually we're going to have a clash. We're going to have problems. That's what happened uh, here uh, in Israel. We have defined what is right in our own eyes when really we should be letting the word of God define what is right. And 
a world without Jesus is going to be a world without boundaries. A world without Jesus is going to be a world where uh, everything is going to, where everything goes. There will be no rules, and that's going to be a problem. And having no rules might sound good. Remember, my, again, uh, our girls from the group home, it all sounded good that I have no rules. I can come and go as I please. I can stay out as late as I want. I can drink booze, do whatever I want with my friends. But we have to remember boundaries are there for a reason. Boundaries are there to keep us safe. You know, I've got an 8-year-old. Now stop and think for a minute. There's a four-lane road right out here uh, in – or a two-lane road out here in front of my house with a railroad track, maybe 50, 60 yards from where I'm sitting. Now, I don't let her go out and play on that road. I don't let her go down and hang out by the railroad tracks. Why? Because I'm the mean old dad and I want to spoil her fun? That's part of it. But no, it's because to keep her safe. It is not safe for my kid to go out and play on a railroad track. No, here's the boundary. You cannot cross there. That's why God has given us boundaries. To keep us safe, we stay within the boundaries, and we can be safe. If we live life our way, it only gets us into trouble. Think about when we were kids, when we wouldn't listen to what mom or dad told us. Didn't we get into trouble? Think about the kids that we had in the group home. They were there because they'd gotten into some kind of trouble. Wouldn't listen to parents or whoever, our grandparents or whoever uh, uh, had their had custody of them. So we have to remember boundaries are there for a reason. You know, I find it interesting that many folks today will say that they don't like God's word or they don't like the church because there's too many rules and restrictions, and it boxes in their ability to have fun. It cramps their lifestyle. But just stop and and think about what they're trying to do many times. I want to be free. I think it was Adios Huxley who said that uh, the reason he wasn't a Christian was he didn't want his – uh, sexual uh, boundaries dictated to him by religion. Well, we've had how many decades now of sexual freedom? And look where it's got us. It's gotten us into a lot of trouble because we're not holding to good boundaries. No boundaries means that there's not going to be any standards. If you can see this cartoon, if you're on Facebook and you can see this cartoon uh, where a guy says, why did I hit you in the face? Because I feel like it. And the guy's holding up his you know, finger, hey, that works for me. And then it quotes Judges 21, verse 25, that we did in the beginning. In those days, Israel did not have a king, and everyone did that which was right in its own eyes. If we don't have boundaries, sure, I could walk up and hit you in the face. You could hit me in the face. Nothing anybody can do about it. Because, hey, it's right for me, or it's right for you. No boundaries means that you are without protection. Uh, in times of judges, remember our cycle, there wasn't that protection. There was no king in Israel. There was no standard. There was no king there to set the law and say, no, you can't steal. You can't uh, murder. You can't do these things. The no boundaries means that you just don't have any limits. And in the times of the judges, going through this cycle, you would think Israel would learn, but they didn't. And what about us today? Ah, you know, we got the Internet. We've put people on the moon. We've got all these great technological advances. Oh, yeah? How do we know whether or not it's ethical to use them or how to use them? And we may be technologically advanced, 
but we still need the Lord. See, the same thing happens to us if we ignore God's boundaries. If we decide, no, God, we're going to do it on our own, then we end up in trouble. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. See, that's what happens when we decide to go off on our own. That's what happens. And again, apply it to everyday life. You know, right now where I'm sitting, we've got about a foot and a half of snow out on the ground, and there's more coming. Now, I could get out there on the road and drive 80 miles an hour like I might do. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but maybe I do go a little fast on the dry roads. But if I decide to blow off common sense and blow off the state patrol saying stay off the roads, and then I get in an accident, see what happens when I don't listen? I get into trouble. The same thing is going to happen when we disobey, when we disregard God. There are many sincere people out there who want to do right, but they're trying to decide for themselves. You may be very sincere in what you believe and what you're doing, and that's great, but being sincere does not make it right. And uh, down the road, I'm working on a lesson about somebody who was very sincere but was still wrong. might have heard of a guy. His name was Saul, lived in a town called Tarsus. Yeah, eventually became the Apostle Paul, very sincere man, but he was wrong. And that's another lesson for another time. But there's always going to be someone to tell you that what you're doing is right, even if what you're doing is evil or wrong. Remember what Satan did with Eve. Told her, no big deal. You want to take the fruit? Go ahead. And, you know, it, it was evil because God said don't do it. And sometimes that's what it comes down to with our kids. Sometimes my daughter will say, well, Dad, why can't I do this or do that? I'll say, because I said so. And maybe our parents did the same thing. Like, I know my parents did that to me. Dad, why can't I go out and do this or do that? Because I said so. Because I want you in the house or I want you doing this or doing that. And that pretty much ended the discussion. And so as we're thinking about this, also look at um, – Proverbs twelve fifteen. the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Anyone representing himself, this is a, I used to be a legal assistant, and we had an expression that said anyone who represented himself in court had a fool for a client. Now, why is that? Because there was no objectivity. There was no way to be objective about your case. Every lawyer going in is going to think, hey, I've got the perfect defense here, and then you get cross-examined and the whole thing falls apart. That's why so many criminals get caught. They plan their job, and they uh, think I'm going to commit the perfect crime, but then they don't take into account surveillance cameras, or they touch something and a fingerprint gets left behind or something like that. See, the fool in his own eyes is wise, but he's got a huge blind spot over here where um, he's not seeing the error and seeing the trouble he's getting into. But people will demonstrate maturity by how well we listen to sound advice. At least listen. Somebody once told me if you've got ten people in the room with you and nine are telling you yes, that you can go ahead and do something, but you've got that tenth person telling you no, listen to what he has to say. You don't necessarily have to act on it, but at least listen to what he has to say. So that, uh, that way you've at least got something that you're missing maybe. There are people that I know that I will go to if I'm trying to make plans. There are people I know that I go to sometimes, quite frankly, because I know they're pretty negative. And that way, if they come up with something that I've overlooked, and sometimes they do, 
that will give me a better way to make plans for a trip or for whatever it is I'm doing. Reasonable people will recognize good advice, even if they sometimes get it unsolicited. And sometimes you'll give good advice. Every once in a while, yeah, I tell my daughter, every once in a while, the old man, he knows what he's talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's another reason why we have uh, boundaries. God gave us command. This is talking to Israel. In context, he's talking to Israel, okay? It's Old Testament, but the concept applies to us, where he says this is what the Lord demands, that we obey his laws and worship and fear him so that he will protect us and help us be successful. The New King James says it's for our good always so that we don't have havoc uh, in our lives. Uh, Moses reminded his audience of the crucial need to pass these covenant values on to their children. In other words, if you're a Christian, you need to pass it on to your kids. Don't expect the schools to do it. Don't expect the Sunday school teacher to do it. You need to be having some Bible reading time and some study time in the home, and that's what Moses envisioned was the home being a place where God's word is openly discussed and it's a part of everyday life. Now, if you're not a Christian watching this and you're thinking, yeah, right, I know some Christians and I know how they act. Now, let me just tell you something. Ignore them. Go to God's word yourself. Don't take anything because I'm sitting here telling you. You know, The best way I can think to illustrate this was a doctor that I knew came down the street one night looking for his kids. And in one hand, he had a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. In the other hand, lit cigarette as he's looking for his kids. Tell them to come home for supper. And I said to him, I thought smoking was bad. And he kind of looked at me with that, mind your own business, kid, look on his face and just mumbled something and kept going. Now, do you think since then I refused to see doctors because that one doctor was smoking? Well, no. I know smoking's bad. Doctors are going to human. They're going to have some bad habits. Christians are human. We're going to have bad habits. So don't let that stop you from, from investigating Scripture. And then remember the good news is we can know the boundaries. We can know where they are. The good news is that while we were in the state of ignorance, Christ still loved us and invited us to come under his guidance. And still invited us to come and follow for true peace, true freedom, with responsibility. Everybody's got their own responsibility. It is your responsibility to uh, work out your own salvation. Romans chapter 5 tells us, uh, gives us some encouragement where God, dem- listen to this, God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now watch that. In that while we were still sinners, you know, sinners, God didn't say, well, I'm watching those people down there. I see Cordell down there. When he gets his act together, then I'll, I'll save him. Now, let's think about that, because if that's the way God worked, why send Jesus? If it's possible for us to uh, be good enough to overcome all of our sins and to uh, satisfy God's righteousness. But he sent while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, is what uh, he's, Paul's going to say in a few verses. Uh, after this, God still sent his son so that that way we could be brought up and have our sins forgiven and be elevated up to a level where we could uh, be acceptable to God. The Bible tells us to put our trust in Jesus, and that's going to be an issue of the heart. That's going to be an issue of our mind, our conscious, our spiritual, the whole, the whole bit, the whole part of our body. 
the Bible teaches us that there is no other source of spiritual stability than what we find in Jesus. That's the only place we're going to find it. That's the only way we're going to get through. Notice what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't forget the thanksgiving part. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, where was Paul when he wrote this? You know, he was in a Roman prison cell. And notice he says, be anxious for nothing, but by everything, uh, uh, in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. I don't know that I could write something like that if I was sitting in a prison cell, especially if I knew I was there for bogus reasons like he was. But let Jesus protect your heart and mind. He's able to protect excuse me, uh, uh, from uh, emotional things that would normally tear us apart if we were left on our own. He can give us that peace if we want it. He can offer us a calm that would maybe disturb the, the average person who's not a Christian. But see, this is why, why he came, so that we could have that calm. He's not going to force himself. It's up to you. And while Christ is the one who can protect us now, notice the second observation in this verse. It's because you can't notice, he says, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. The peace of God transcends the understanding. In other words, it's something we can't understand, and that will guard your hearts and minds, that peace that God can give us. Verse 6, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Whatever it is that's on your mind, no matter how small, how little. I was reading a book written by a nationally known megachurch minister years ago and he was telling about a business meeting with his executive committee and they had a matter on the table they were discussing and he stopped the meeting and he said well I think we need to pray about this and the men at the table all kind of looked around and said well why don't we leave God out of this this is business and he said no we can't do that it may be business it may be something else it may be something oh, real trivial and small, but here again, you know, when my daughter wants something, I tell her, come to me. I don't care how big or little it is. Come to me and let's talk about it. That's the way it is with God. Go to God and talk about it. Go to God and talk about the things that are on your heart. So you can begin to imagine a world without Christ because then you is all you've got if you have a world without Christ. And in a world without Jesus, there would be no boundaries. There would just be burdens that we all have to carry around. So as we're wrapping it up, I want us to look at some things. See, many of us have lost our foundation. And I think America, as a nation, we're losing our foundation. A lot of churches, a lot of denominations out there have lost their foundation because they're disregarding Scripture and they're changing their doctrine, their, their constitution, their whatever they've got, and they're allowing a lot of man-made things uh, to come in. It's not just they're redefining marriage. They're redefining uh, the family. They're doing a lot of things like that. Hey, if we have a passage in the Bible that says, thus saith the Lord, uh, you might see t-shirts that say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, no, not quite. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not. So we have to remember that every man doing right in his own eyes is not going to get us anywhere. 
know, politicians don't mind talking about values until you ask them whose values are you talking about. Now, why do you think homosexuals will say that they have the right to get married? Well, because every man does what's right in his own eyes. What does the Bible tell us? Matthew chapter 19. If you want the Bible teaching on divorce and remarriage and marriage, go to Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through uh, 6. The judges keep striking down laws many times that are common sense over for political correctness. That's why we have a lot of pornographers, pedophiles, and criminals of all ranks running around. We have lost our moral compass. We need to get it back. We can help you in any way to understand the scriptures, to become a Christian, to get back on track, let us know. Send us an email through, to Stevie through social media. You can contact me through Facebook. Let us help you. If the Lord were to come back tonight, you know without a doubt you're going to go home to be with him. If the answer is no or I don't know, let's talk. I'll be glad to help you. Thank you for having me, Stevie. Thank you, audience, for joining in, and we'll see you next month. You're listening to The Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the radio broadcast. We certainly appreciate those who've been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio, as well as on social media, Facebook Live. I think both of my uh, co-hosts did their lessons on uh, live on Facebook on tonight's show. Great lessons from both gentlemen uh, on the broadcast. Our co-hosts always do a fantastic job in making their proclamations of the gospel of Christ. I don't take any of this for granted. This is uh, hard work. This is not easy uh, labor here presenting these lessons week after week. And my co-hosts are dedicated to that task, and they always do a great job, and I really do appreciate them. My co-host, Tim Benchy, also answered our questions. Great question, and that shouted-out question regarding bearing one another's burdens. Tim always does a great job as well in answering our questions. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast, and it is our prayer that the lessons that were given on the show tonight have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in to this radio show, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. I'm your host, Steve Al Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. There are two things appointed to a man. To live and to die. When your soul departs from this earth, will you be ready? When my chance comes again, I'll be ready. Not too long ago, I found the Lord. After a while, you know, changed my heart. Changed I've been through And now I might go. Oh, 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.